Broadcasting live from the KVXL studios at Liberty Baptist Church in Las Vegas. Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. The Frittle Show with Crystal Heath. I've said that we must be cautious in claiming God is on our side. I think the real question we must answer is, are we on his side? Faith, family, freedom. For me, it's very simple. I think we've got to We've got to get the country back on the right track with the most inspiring agenda. A voice in the desert. Now, here's Crystal Heath. All right, guys. Sorry about that. Having a little struggles with my uh, soundboard here this morning. Oh, my goodness. So much to talk about. It is official. The Joe Biden has entered the race for El Presidente of the Estados Unidos. Is that disrespectful to say it that way? I don't even know. But Biden is in. Everyone thought this was coming, but now it is officially, officially, officially official. I'm Crystal Heath. You're listening to The Frittle Show on KVXL 101.1 FM Experience Liberty Radio from Liberty Baptist Church here in Las Vegas. We have Sunday morning services at 9.30 and 11.15. Join us for either of those. We'd love to have you and your family here with us. Uh, Sunday evening, 6 p.m., Wednesdays at 7 o'clock. Okay. The, um... The Biden is in the race. And surprisingly, uh, when just the other day he was polling not very well, not very well at all, actually, in a hypothetical matchup, Biden is now beating President Trump by eight points, 42 to 34% in a political, political of course, it's a political poll, a politico poll conducted uh, late last week around about of 2000 registered voters found that Joe Biden would lead the president by eight percentage points in this hypothetical uh, matchup. Biden beats Trump with women by 17 points, millennials by 22 points and independents with a 10 point victory. Wow. That is... Um, that is surprising to me. It is surprising to me that Joe Biden garners this much support. But I think the best thing that could have ever happened to Joe Biden is the fact that there are 19 other candidates in the Democratic field. And comparatively speaking, Joe Biden would be the most familiar face and honestly probably the most trusted face just because if for no other reason than that he is a name and a face that people know and are familiar with now I don't have time today or actually I'm just actually I have plenty of time because the show has just begun but I'm choosing not to get into all the different aspects of Biden that I find problematic okay there will be plenty of time for that uh, down the line and I'm not speaking because he's a, a Democrat no there's there's questionable things with uh, with his relationships with I believe it's Ukraine and different things with his son um, that uh, you know and uh, to be perfectly honest it wouldn't be that far off from things that that Democrats accuse the Trump family of um, uh, leading up to the election and even post the election 
But uh, I don't think, obviously, there will be quite the outcry from the media to things of that nature because they tend to favor those who are left-leaning. But then you've got, you know, the, the, the creepy vibe that uh, Biden has. But again, I, you know, I, <laughs> you got to be real careful, guys. I know that some, some Republicans are going to try and... and and make this guy out to be something that you need to be very careful because your candidate is not that far off from where this guy is, or at least was. And I, I'm not going to get into all of the, well, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying before you go and blast Biden for something, remember who it is that you actually support and what their history is. Does that make sense without me getting too... <laughs> Two into the weeds here on this. But we have 20 now. 20 people uh, that you could call viable contenders. I don't know if I would call all 20 of them viable contenders. But uh, we have 20 people. 20 people running. Uh, like I thought a lot of people ran when uh, in the Trump primary four years ago. But... I don't think that this is even, I don't know how you, like, how do you even do this? People ha were basically rioting over how the Republicans divided up our candidates, uh, and by our, I mean those that were on the Republican side, how the Republicans divided up to have debates and things because there was so many, and they were mad if their candidate didn't get on the A stage, if you will, and they got put on the B team stage, but now there's 20 people running as Democrats. So we have, um, we have this... Uh, gal, Marianne Williamson. You're like, who is that? Well, she is a uh, self-described spiritual guru. And CNN recently did an hour-long town hall-style show with her. I suppose that makes her a legitimate candidate. Then we have entrepreneur Andrew Yang, who's never held elected office, but has uh, seen a little bit of traction, particularly on, uh, on I believe it's the West Coast where he's, he's gotten a little bit. Uh, former Senator Mike Gravel of Alaska. Gravel had been fairly well known in politics. His name has not really been in anything recently, but once upon a time he had a, he had a following, so, you know, he's there. Um, then you have Mayor Wayne Messam of Florida, who does not have any money, and so he probably won't go anywhere, but you never know. Um, we have, who, do, 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 who else? Um, Gabbard, and we have Pete, Mayor Pete. He, by the way, is steadily rising. In surveys is constantly in the media circuit. We have six senators who are running for the Democratic nomination. We've got Cory Booker of New Jersey, Kirsten Gillibrand of New York, Kamala Harris from California, Amy Klobuchar of Minnesota, Bernie Sanders of Vermont, and Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts. Several House members are also running. 
may or may not know about them. Representative Seth Moulton of Massachusetts, Tim Ryan of Ohio, Eric Swalwell of California, ex-Congressman John Delaney of Maryland, and, of course, Beto O'Rourke of Texas, former Obama Administration Housing Secretary Julian Castro, ex-Colorado Governor John Hickenlooper, and Washington Governor Jay Inslee. I think that is the whole 20 if you add Joe Biden to the list. And really, Biden has nothing to lose, in my opinion, by jumping into this thing. At this point, uh, the only ones that I see really potentially being able to tap into what Biden would have as far as name recognition would be no one. <laughs> There's just no Bernie Sanders would be the only one. Oh, Elizabeth Warren, I guess, too. So those would probably be the three that I would take most seriously as far as familiarity and what people would know and be comfortable with. I think Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, uh, for obvious, obvious reasons. You have the name recognition. People already know who you are. People are already familiar with you. Uh, for the up and comers, I really only see uh, Mayor Pete and possibly uh, Julian Castro as being capable of, of making a dent in this thing. I mean, maybe Beto, but he just really seems to be fading, uh, and fading very quickly, so I don't anticipate him going anywhere. Cory Booker, I just think he's too um, he's too polarizing, I think. And you're like, well, but you don't think Bernie Sanders is polarizing? Well, yeah, but in a completely different way. Like, Cory Booker, I just don't think he has a likability factor. Personally, I don't think that Bernie Sanders is likable, but he promises a lot of free stuff, and uh, and he runs as an independent, so he's got that going for him. Um, Kamala Harris, I just don't think that she... I, I just don't see her going anywhere. Um, I don't see any of the representatives or former governors going anywhere. Um, so that would be, at this point, my take on this whole Democratic field. I think you've got Biden, Bernie and uh, Warren as your top runners, and then uh, Mayor Pete and uh, potentially Julian Castro nipping at their heels, if you would. So I, I'd break it down to those five as probably being the the survivors, if you will, once the field begins to clear a bit. But again, we are we are a year out, really, from most primaries, so never know never know what might happen um bernie sanders there are uh there are a group of bernie sanders supporters who say that if their guy isn't the guy they're going to go with president trump after the 2016 election the cooperative congressional election study found about 12 percent of those who voted for sanders in the democratic primaries uh, voted for trump in the general election Sanders is so well-liked by his supporters this time around that it is anticipated that that figure could double or more in this election if Sanders is not the guy. An Emerson College poll uh, earlier this month showed that 26% of those who support Sanders in the Democratic primaries this time around, uh, primaries and caucuses, would choose Trump over another alternative. 26%. That's over a quarter of Sanders supporters saying, it will be our guy or we will vote for Trump. 
that could be a fairly significant number, just depending on how far into this process Bernie gets and how frustrated his supporters become if he is denied the nomination. So we'll see. I don't know if it would be enough to actually swing the needle, but it could it could be interesting. could be interesting. Sanders supporters are very passionate people. And uh, I, I don't know how you <laughs> how your mindset allows you to go from the socialism of Bernie Sanders to the capitalism of Donald Trump just because you're displeased. But, you know, this is this is this is what the polls are telling us, people. So there's that. Then you have Elizabeth Warren, who uh, <laughs> I'm just I'm just running through a little bit of my of my five and then we'll. And then we'll move on to, to a really fun topic, which I usually don't do fun topics on Thursdays, but it's such a cultural phenomenon right now. And and this topic that we're on right now, I don't feel is fun because, to be perfectly honest, even with Biden, Mayor Pete, uh, Elizabeth Warren, Joe Biden, and you know, maybe Julian Castro fits in that top five if I've got to pick a fifth, I don't think the Democrats have anybody... That, except for, you know, Bernie Sanders, I take it back, Bernie Sanders, I'm, I'm looking for like the excitability factor. And Bernie Sanders supporters love him. I don't know if he can garner that same level of passionate support from the Democratic Party as a whole, however. So in that respect, I don't see any one of these possible five as being someone who is, uh, is going to unite the Democratic Party or be someone that the entire party would be excited about. I mean, maybe Mayor Pete, but I think that he loses some uh, some of the more traditional Democrats if it's Mayor Pete. I don't know that he's going to win places um, that are largely uh, Catholic Democrat, if you will, in areas like like Pittsburgh and Pennsylvania. Um, I don't I don't know that Mayor Pete would be able to to garner that branch of the party. And then you know, with Elizabeth Warren, I think she's walking this fine line of <laughs> trying to be sensible, but also trying to capture some of that socialist spirit and, and in combining the two and in claiming um, heritage that is not her own, I think that she is is just creating kind of a mess for herself, quite honestly. But she she does seem to have a pretty solid uh, base of support. I think there are those that really want to see another woman uh, candidate. I think that there is an argument to be made that a woman going up against Trump may do better than another uh, white male, um, quite frankly. So I, I can see why this is is something that some on the on the Democratic side are excited about. Uh, obviously, her most recent thing that's been in the news is that she wants to forgive uh, student loan debt, just cancel it, just make it go away. The government's going to eat that. Uh, specifically, um, I believe the plan, it's uh, it would cancel out $50,000 in student loan debt for every person with household income under $100,000. It would be substantial. We don't know what the number would be, but substantial cancellation for every person uh, with income over $100,000 but under $250,000. Uh, no... Um, uh, it would uh, it would make private student loan debt eligible for cancellation, and uh, and streamline the debt forgiveness program using information that the feds already have on you. The, there are multitude of problems uh, with this student loan debt forgiveness. Not the least of which is, okay, the debt doesn't actually just disappear. 
because you say it disappears. <laughs> there are still people that are owed money. So how is this thing uh, funded? Basically, we have 14 million Americans today who altogether, if you add it all up, $1.5 trillion in student loan debt. It is the second highest consumer debt category, second only to mortgages, higher than any other type of debt that we collectively as a country own, including uh, auto loans, credit cards, everything except for mortgages, student loans is the most. So who, where is this $1.5 trillion coming from? Well, the Warren has proposed what she's calling an ultra-millionaire tax, which would be a 2% annual tax on the 75,000 families in the United States who have at least $50 million uh, in wealth. But there's a problem with this. What does that mean? Does that mean that you're going to have a 2% tax on their annual income? Or does the term wealth actually refer to their net worth? Are you taxing their net worth? And if so, then how is the federal government going to assess the net worth of a family? And then will the federal government be annually monitoring the net worth of every wealthy family or anyone who aspires to wealth to see if we need to be taxing them more to provide student loan forgiveness and, oh, by the way, on top of that, free college to everyone? Then you also have the issue of, well, what about people that have already paid off their student loan debt, that have worked really, really hard for literally decades and paid off what you're just forgiving everyone else? Like, do they get some kind of uh, credit? Like, do you get a tax credit for $100,000 worth of student loan debt? Like, you're not going to be paying taxes for a long time. And then you have another uh, massive discrepancy in, in, in federal income, which is literally only achieved by... Okay, well, yeah, you have, like, I guess, revenue from parks and things. But tax revenue. The government isn't earning that money. You are. And then you give it to the government. And also, though, uh, the, the, this is my favorite one. This is my favorite my favorite one? That sounds terrible. My, this, okay, I shouldn't say favorite, but when it comes to all the possible complications and problems with this student loan debt forgiveness thing, what it boils down to is she's saying this is what families need. Families need debt forgiveness. This is good for America's families to get ahead. Well, why, why is student loan debt more important than mortgage debt or credit card debt or auto loan debt. Like, why is student loan debt the one? Like, if we're going to just pay off student loan debts, why don't we just pay off uh, everybody's mortgage? Why not just pay off everybody's credit cards? That would help families succeed, don't you think? And like, well, uh, no, because education should be free for everybody. Why? Who determined that education should be free? Well, it's a necessity. Um, food is a necessity. Do you get that for free? Nope. Clothes are a necessity. Do you get that for free? Nope. Housing. It's kind of helpful. Do you get that for free? Like, it, you just uh, logically, it doesn't make sense. And as much as it sounds fantastic, I don't think that when Elizabeth Warren tries to tries to 
walk this line of I'm, you know, sort of socialist, but also traditional. I don't think it works for her. I really don't. So I, I this is why Biden, I think, has an upper hand here. And then you have Poot, or Poot, Pete Bootgeggeg, or however you say his last name, who is walking around making waves by talking about his Christianity and how God doesn't have a political party and... <sighs> During a CNN town hall, I think it was last week. No, maybe it was this week. I guess it was this week. Earlier this week. CNN town hall. The mayor was asked how he planned to unite conservatives, moderates, and liberal Christians. Because he's a self-proclaimed Christian. And he said, it can be challenging to be a person of faith who's also part of the LGBTQ community. And yet, to me, the core of faith is regard for one another. And part of God's love is experienced, according to my faith tradition, in the way that we support one another, and in particular support the least among us. Okay, the core of our faith is not regard for one another. The core of our faith is that Jesus Christ is God, and that he died and was buried and rose again. And that those who place their faith and trust in him can experience salvation and eternal life. That is the core of our faith. Now, yes, Jesus said that you will know them by... Uh, or, or uh, love one another, you'll know them by their love. But this is a this is a warped message that's coming from this guy's campaign. And what he's trying to do is he's trying to appeal to a base that I don't think that he has by saying that God doesn't have a political party. Well, he's right. God doesn't have a political party. Abraham Lincoln very famously said, my concern is not whether God is on my side. My concern is, are we on God's side? The problem is, when Mayor Pete and others like him say that, well, it's just about God's love. This is all about love. Well, God is love. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't have a whole lot to say about what is right and what is wrong. It doesn't mean that we get to make up the God that we want, a God that won't tell us what to do or interfere with our lives because he is loving and tolerant, and so we can just do, you know, God is cool with anything that we decide to do. No. No, the love of God is a greater love than we can even begin to comprehend, that a man would lay down his life not for his friends but for his enemies. That is a love unlike any other. It's vast, unbounded, and free. But God is just in the same way that God is love. He's not only infinite in love, he's perfect in justice. And it's not some great mystery as to what God thinks or how his justice works. No, he's laid the whole thing out for us pretty clearly in his word. He says, do this, prosper. Do that, be punished. Do this, live. Do this, die. Like, it's, it's pretty straightforward. But what Pete, Mayor Pete and many Westerners have decided is that we, we like the loving God part. That's cool. But the other stuff, all that other stuff, that's outdated. You know, it's misinterpreted. It was written for a different time and place. And to be honest, I don't think that we as evangelicals have done a whole lot to combat this error in thinking. We've just, we've, we've made things too complicated, particularly when it comes to the Old Testament. And this is the, this is the argument that, that, uh, those who would reject scripture or the God of the Old Testament, uh, uh, this is where they, they live. But the God of the Old Testament is the same God as the New Testament. We just don't know how to answer these questions. 
and we say, well, when God says, you know, when God says not to mix fabrics, that doesn't actually apply to us. But when he said not to murder, that's the part we've got to keep. We have this whole extra biblical doctrine, if you will, if, <laughs> on what are universal laws in Scripture and what are particular only to the Jewish people and those that are irrelevant to us. And I don't have the time in this program to dive deeply into this, but we stand on shaking ground when we, for example, tell someone that God says homosexuality is a sin. And we know this because in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And they say, well, so is, well, God talks about where mixed fabrics and and how can you say that some words in the bible are better or more applicable than others is that's all true or it's not true well then that's a valid point who determines which is which if it's in the new testament it still applies but if not it doesn't then why do we even bother with the old testament at all these are valid concerns that people bring up and i believe that rather than simply writing off some old testament commandments as not applicable to us we should just study them and understand them and then we can actually have a conversation with people Rather than just being like, oh, well, that part, we don't really get it. So we just, you know, that that's that's under the law and we're under grace. So it doesn't matter, you know. And like with mixed fabrics, you probably don't even wear any clothing that actually violates that scriptural rule if you actually understand what the rule is, right? Like you're familiar with stolen valor. Individuals who dress up and pretend to have served in the armed forces to receive some sort of benefits, that is illegal. It's also illegal for you to dress up in a uniform to impersonate a police officer or law enforcement personnel. Do you think that law is silly? No, of course not. They're good laws. We understand. We support these laws. They make sense to us. We even understand the term stolen valor simply because it is universally understood in our culture. The Old Testament law on mixed fabrics is not a law on mixed fabrics at all. It has nothing to do with allowing you to wear polyester. In fact, it specifically only mentions wool and linen. You're not supposed to wear wool and linen together. And if you read the Old Testament in context and you read all of it, you'll understand that there was a specific group of people that were commanded to wear wool and linen. What is this now? God commands the wearing of wool and linen, and then he says, you shall not do this. Well, context. It's the priests. If you weren't a priest, you weren't allowed to wear wool and linen because that was what the priests wore. Just like you can't dress up like a police officer today unless you actually are one, you couldn't wear wool and linen unless you actually are a priest. And odds are you've never broken the wool and linen commandment because you haven't dressed up like, uh, and further understood, you haven't behaved in a manner that would make people believe that you're an Israeli priest. Okay? So to the Hebrew nation, this command would have been easily understood. Don't make yourself a priest's outfit. That's for one of the, the, the priests that God has appointed in them only. No do-it-yourself shrines allowed. So much needed command, by the way, for a people fresh escaped from a polytheistic culture. But today we read not to mix wool and linen and we toss it aside as inapplicable and say that that part of the law no longer applies to us. When in actuality, you can completely say that law applies to you because you're not going to do that. <laughs> you haven't broken that law. And if you have, I hope you work at Sight and Sound or something. The point is this. I'm tired of, of, of us simply tossing aside things we don't understand by saying that they don't apply to us because we're too lazy to study the scriptures. Now, on some things, I'm not saying, look, okay, obviously, Jesus, Paul, the New Testament made it really easy on some things, like bacon, right? The Old Testament prohibits bacon, but God tells Peter, rise and kill. Paul says, eat, don't ask questions. The Jerusalem counselor says, we as Gentiles abstain from fornication, strangled, and blood. Better cook that steak, folks. So those questions are easier to explain. But when it comes to some of this other stuff, we're just like, oh, no, you know, yeah, just don't worry about that one. Yes, homosexuality is a sin. Uh, like, and I'm not saying that it's not, but if we're going to win the God says homosexuality is a sin argument in an ever more Western world that is only focusing 
uh, that, that that's embracing even that God is love and that the God of the Bible is love. If we don't learn our Bibles and how every aspect of God's word is true and applicable, uh, we have to be able to explain why. And a simple Jesus did away with the law answer isn't going to cut it with the Mayor Pete generation that's saying, well, we like this part and this is what we believe out of the Bible. If, if we can't explain, no, this is why all of it is relevant. If we don't understand what the commitment on, on mixed linens is or, or mixed fabrics, if we don't understand these arguments and we just write it off as, oh, well, don't worry about that. That part doesn't count. You, you can't say that <laughs> in today's culture because then they say, well, then I can pick what parts I want to count for me. And that's exactly what Mayor Pete is doing. He's saying, well, this is the part. This is the good part. This is the part you should know about. Because this is the part that I like. This is the part that fits into my God box. I got God right here in this box. This is what he is like. And this is how he's allowed to interact with my life. And if what you're saying about God goes outside my God box, then that part just doesn't apply. Does that make sense? I don't know if I don't know if that's <sighs> Mayor Pete and people like him will be successful in convincing people that this is what God is like unless we know our Bibles and we are able to say no this is what God is like God's love isn't about you being able to do whatever you want and there not being any consequences because God is love and everything is happy and wonderful. No, God's love is about him dying for you and me because we are prone to do wickedness, because we are prone to sin, because we're born with a sin nature. God's love is about redeeming us from the evil that we do. God's love isn't about allowing us to live in 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 sin and evil and just enjoy it because it's no big deal. No, the, the two stand in in opposition to one another. But this is where Mayor Pete, this is his angle, if you will. Is he's coming in to this race and and Personally, I think he's the most dangerous because of this, because he's presenting uh, what I believe to be a false gospel. And saying, this is what God is, when, biblically speaking, he couldn't be further from the truth. So that's the danger of Mayor Pete. The the hard part for Elizabeth Warren is she she's having an identity crisis, wanting to win the socialists out of Sanders' camp, but also trying to be sort of traditional and neither <coughs> really working for her. Uh, we need to take a break, so I'm not going to even get into Julian Castro. Um, I think that he could, uh, I think that he could have a powerful voice um, in specific aspects of the Democratic platform for obvious reasons, and I'm just, uh, I will save that for another day. Uh, Biden, his strength is that he's the one that everybody knows, and like it or not, he's fairly likable even with all his creepiness. I don't know how, I don't know why, but he apparently is, is just 
he's likable. And then the and then as far as Bernie Sanders, Bernie Sanders supporters love Bernie Sanders. That's his that's his thing. Socialism and people that want socialism, they flock to him. So those are your those are what I believe are the top five candidates for the Democrats right now out of the now twenty candidates that are running for the Democratic primary. Absolutely unbelievable how many people are running. Historic record breaking 20 people. Wow. All right, we're going to take another break. Not another break. This is our first one. We're going to take a break because I need to get a drink of water here. And uh, when we return, we're going to completely shift gears, talk about something just fun and not at all uh, serious. So, <laughs> so don't go away. This is a, this is a pleasant change for our Thursday drive time. We will return momentarily. Stay with us. All right, we are completely switching gears to just talk about something fun because I feel like it, because our culture is going to be completely immersed in this over this coming weekend beginning. It's already begun, actually. Avengers Endgame is coming. And no, it's not the end of Phase 3. For those of you that are Marvel Universe nuts, Spider-Man Far From Home is actually the final movie in Phase 3. But Endgame wraps up a lot of different storylines. Three hours, 58 seconds long. The movie is set to shatter, I mean destroy, box office records. Already over $100 million, uh, in parts of Asia. Uh, a projected global launch exceeding $900 million, if not more. Potential all-time best prode- uh, projections of $300 million in North America. It will be shown in 4,600 theaters, the widest, widest release of a film ever. Ever. Avengers Endgame is set to potentially turn the film industry around for the year. That's how good this movie is projected to do. Now, if you are a fan, I'm telling you right now, you need to just sign off of all social media until you see the movie. Whether that's two days from now, two months from now, two years from now, you need to just turn it off because people cannot contain themselves. I went on Twitter this morning because that is where I often get most of my uh, 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 links for different news stories and articles if there's anything going on, which aside from the Biden announcement, there wasn't, except that people have been seeing the movie and, and they just can't help themselves, right? And somebody, I'm scrolling through my feed and they're like, there's different pictures and I'm like, what are these pictures? And then I read the the caption and it says, here are some... Uh, non-chronological, not-too-spoily spoilers for Endgame. I was like, why would you do this? Like, what? don't do that. And then I clicked off of Twitter, and I was like, that's it. And no, I'm not even going to see it uh, opening a weekend. I don't, I, don't know what to, I don't know what to do. Like, it's like, gotta, I don't, you just, you can't, there's no, huh, don't be that person. Don't spoil it for those of us that can't go see it the second it comes out, all right? Like, don't be that person. Oh. But the movie's set to do exceptionally well. Critics from every direction hailing this movie as the perfect uh, culmination of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And personally, I'm a, I'm a fairly 
I mean, I wouldn't say I'm a big Marvel fan, but I really like Marvel movies. I like superhero movies. I'm not endorsing Marvel movies right now necessarily. You need to you need to make your own decisions for your own family and your own person and so on. But I am a big fan of the superhero movies. I I don't know why, but ever since the first Iron Man came out, like Hulk, no Hulk, no the original Incredible Hulk, no no. But since the first Iron Man came out, it's just been like I I've watched every one. As they've come out, most of them once they come out on DVD, uh, because I'm too poor to go to movie theaters. But um, I've watched them all, enjoyed most of them, uh, watched them as they came out. But then earlier this month, I guess it was the end of March, I think. The end of March, uh, a friend of mine was like, I'm going to watch through the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe leading up to Endgame coming out. And I'm going to watch through in chronological order. And my brother John was uh, was away for a couple of weeks. So I had more time at home than I usually have. Because usually we'll you know go to the gym together and take the dogs to the park together. And you know just do stuff together. And cook and eat and all that. Uh, every, uh, just do stuff. But he was gone for like over two weeks. So I was like, hmm, have a lot more time than usual. I could watch through Marvel's universe in chronological order. And so I did. I'm not quite finished. I have three to go. Um, Thor, Ragnarok, Ant-Man and Wasp, and Infinity War. Still have those three. But I, I like I said, since I'm not seeing an opening weekend, I have time to get through them. But uh, it has been... I mean, if you're a Marvel fan and you have not watched through the movies in chronological order in like a, a month's time there's 21 i think is there 21 or 22 after infinity or after uh i don't remember i think it's either 21 now i think there's 21 now and then it'll be 22 once endgame comes out but watching through these things in chronological order oh my goodness like you thought they were good the first time you saw them watch them in order and you will be you will be blown away by the masterful storytelling and how the writers and producers have just woven this incredible journey and this amazing story from movie to movie to movie to movie. And there's, there's nothing like it in movie history. It's, it's literally incredible what Marvel has managed to do, what Stan Lee did in this, in this series. Amazing, if you watch from beginning to end. And so I've been keeping a list, by the way. I've been keeping a list of my rankings of the movies. <sighs> best one. Well, best two. Well, I, best Marvel movie, in my opinion, easily is The Avengers. The first Avengers, especially if you're watching them in chronological order, it's just so good. Like, <laughs> it's so good. Captain America Civil War, right up there as well. Those were the only two in the MCU that I have given a 10 out of 10 and watching through my chronological order. Iron Man comes in third, 9 out of 10. Spider-Man Homecoming fourth, also with a 9 out of 10. Thor rounds out my top five with an 8.5. You're like, but where is Captain America? I gotta be honest, when I rewatched Captain America, I was, I mean, it's it's good, but I, I have Captain America right now, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, ninth on my list. Comes in just above Black Panther, just under Ant-Man, and Iron Man 3. 
Captain America Winter Soldier, though, is my uh, is my number six. So, And I could show you my whole thing. I'll tweet it out once I'm done with the whole series. But um, Thor, so much better than I remembered. Iron Man 3, I gotta tell you, okay? I, I know that there's a lot of love for Captain America, and I think Captain America is, is a great superhero. But Iron Man, to me, has the best, most compelling storyline. Like, it's guy creates his own suit. Like, there's no supernatural mumbo-jumbo. There's no enhancements. He builds a suit in a cave in Afghanistan. Like, it's just such a good storyline. And if you watch the storyline arc through 1, 2, and 3, and then his interactions with the different characters through other uh, films, and then him really coming into his own in 3, and then in, uh, in the Avengers series, and then in Spider-Man... It's just, to me, Iron Man has the most compelling storyline. It looks the most like a, a, a story of redemption, if you will, without getting spiritual. Um, Captain America, I just, I, I like Captain America, but it's not the same for me. It's, it's just not the same. I like the characters better who don't have the superhuman uh, enhancements, shall we say. All right, like Black Widow, Hawkeye, um, Iron Man, the ones that it's not like there was some injection or explosion or reaction that made you this way. So, and that's just that's my opinion. I, I, I like Captain America. And you want to know my predictions for Endgame? There's no spoilers because I haven't seen it, so I don't know. I could be completely wrong. Um, I think that we will lose Captain America and or Iron Man, possibly, potentially both. Um, I think, uh, I think what would be the perfect culmination of the storyline is Captain America and Iron Man somehow working together in the end to save the world and they both go out, uh, in glory together, sacrificing themselves on the field of battle for everyone else. I think that in the end, Captain America is going to choose Iron Man over Bucky and that that will somehow play into this thing. Again, I could be completely wrong. We could all be completely wrong. They could be messing with our heads, and Captain America and Iron Man will survive this thing. I don't think that happens. Superheroes aren't actually real, and they don't live forever, so some of these people are actually going to die. What's more sad for me, though, is it is Endgame, right? So it's not like we get another chance at this thing. Or maybe we do, because, you know, time can be warped, apparently, and taken back. But... It seems more likely that whereas with Infinity War, you know they're not all gone. Like, they didn't just kill off Black Panther. I guarantee you Black Panther is coming back. There's gonna be a second and probably a third Black Panther movie. We know Spider-Man is either set prior to this and then being released after, but I don't think that's going to happen. Or else Tom Holland uh, comes back from the snap and survives as Spider-Man to uh, go far from home. Um... So, so you know, with, with Infinity War, it was, it was like, a, oh, wow, in the moment when you saw it. But then you were like, wait, but they're, they're all coming back. So it's really not that painful anymore. Like when you watch it and in that moment, it's like, oh, man. But then it's like, no, it's not that big of a deal. But with Endgame, it's like, it's over. Like if we lose you in Endgame, it's over. Like you're gone. That I think I think Endgame is going to be harder 
than Infinity War easily because it's the end game. But and once Endgame wraps up, Endgame will barely be out of theaters and Spider-Man Far From Home will be upon us. Which I love Spider-Man. His second favorite character in the Marvel Universe. Iron Man, I know that he's not a good guy. I get that. But I'm saying when it comes to the storyline, and if you watch the story happen, you literally watch the man change and grow as a person. And I just, I love the storyline around Iron Man. Spider-Man, just really fun. Love Spider-Man. Also Ant-Man, underrated character. Best villain by far is Loki. Don't even try to suggest anyone else. I'm telling you, watch these things in chronological order. It will give you a whole new appreciation for the whole thing. But I gotta say, I'll give you my my worst four, okay? The bottom of my list. Uh, Thor Dark World. Why? Just, just no. Just unnecessary. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 1 and 2. Like, if we didn't need to know about that Infinity Stone and who Thanos was, like, there had to be another way to work that in. I, this is where Stan Lee failed us all. Like, Guardians are just terrible. I'm just, they don't work with, they should be in their own, I'm not saying that the the characters and storyline can't work, but it doesn't work for me in the overarching story of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Like, if you're watching through chronologically, everything is going along well, everything makes sense, everything is, is interweaving very nicely, and it all is dealing with it just, it just, it's like another realm, another universe, and I get that that's the way it's supposed to be, but if you watch them the way they're meant to be watched, you, you're, you're plotting right along, and then you get to Guardians, and it's like, what in the world is this? Like, this does not fit into what's going on everywhere else. Like, I just, I, I didn't like either one of them the first time that I saw them. I liked them even less the second time that I saw them. Just not necessary. So Thor Dark World, ugh. Both the Guardians, ugh. Even worse. And then, um, uh, uh, Captain Marvel. Just not impressed. So much potential. I think a lot of it was the actress that they chose. I'll be honest. Brie Larson, I'm not a fan. Like, in Captain Marvel. Like, you just, not a fan. No. Didn't, no, mm-mm, nope, nope, nope. And I'm disappointed that she's going to potentially have some sort of pivotal role in Endgame because I don't think that Marvel come lately should be, <laughs> should have that big of a, of a position. Anyway, so that's my thoughts on Endgame. If you're going to see it at some point in the future and you're a fan and you don't want to be spoiled... You gotta at least stay off of Twitter. Um, Facebook is a little bit safer usually for this sort of thing, but Twitter, you can't be there. Just just turn it off. Like, log out so that you have to physically type in your password to see it again. Because you don't... It will... Don't, don't let some person who's thoughtless ruin this thing for you. Because it's... It's supposed to be really amazing. You don't want to let somebody ruin the amazing for you. But Avengers Endgame set to release this weekend. $900 million expected worldwide. <laughs> Disney going to just save the summer box office. In fact, in fact, <laughs> the movie industry is saying that Disney 
single-handedly will save the film industry this year. With Spider-Man, Avengers, Star Wars, I mean, Disney is set to take half, half of all ticket sales in North America this year or more projected to go to Disney. Now, I, we can have a conversation about Disney and whether or not that should be the way it is. And if their films are what they once were, and if the 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 Disney has stayed true to the to the original visions of their founder Walt, we could get into all of that. Except I only have like three minutes left in the program, so we're not going to. But I will say this: what Disney has going for it today is what Disney has always had going for it, and that is that overall. Now, this is not a blanket endorsement of all Disney movies. I, I grew up in a house where actually most Disney movies we weren't allowed to watch because they had magic or witches, okay? So I'm not... In fact, I, there are many Disney movies that people my age saw as children that I still haven't seen to this day because once I grew up to a point where I could watch them because I was out on my own, I just didn't have any desire anymore. But um, overall, if you look at Disney from its inception, even till now, despite some things that we don't like despite some things that we wouldn't always agree with in general terms Disney has usually been quality entertainment that is family friendly and in America whether it was 1950s and you're watching Kurt Russell and Follow Me Boys or it's 2019 and you're waiting for the next episode of Star Wars to release Disney wins by producing quality stuff that is family friendly and that is what Americans want more than any other form of entertainment the money talks and that is what the money is saying that Disney wins. How does Disney win? By producing quality, family-friendly entertainment as a as a generality, okay? I'm not saying that every Disney movie is wonderful. I'm not. Not endorsing every Disney movie. I'm just saying that this is how they win the the lion's share of the film industry. And that's it. That's all the time that I have left. See, wasn't that fun? We talked about all the politics for the first half and then all the end game for the second half. Where else can you get this kind of quality radio? This is... <laughs> Disney may be winning the cinema, but I'm winning the radio today. <laughs> not at all, actually. Rush is going to do that in a few hours over on a station that we are not. Um, thanks so much for being with us. Always a privilege to have you here this Sunday, 9.30 and 11.15 Sunday morning. 6 p.m. Sunday evening, 6501 West Lake Mead Boulevard is our address. If you and your family are here in Las Vegas, we'd love to have you join us for our services. If not, you can still be part of our service by streaming online. Just visit our website at experienceliberty.com or visit Facebook and like us at Liberty Baptist Church of Las Vegas. Hope you and your family have a fantastic day. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And coming up next, just momentarily, after this brief interlude of beautiful music, will be Dr. David Tice with his program, Living in Liberty. Don't go away. Well, you can go. I mean, I mean, it just really depends on what you're doing.
just keep listening. That's what you should do. Just keep listening.